Hello, and welcome back to the now 12th season of the Soybean Pest Podcast. This is episode one on June 17th, 2021. I'm Matt O'Neill, and with me is Dr. Aaron Hodgson. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. It's a hot one out there today. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it's also dry. And it has been uh, pretty much now for, what, eight months? That's right. Um, We could maybe post a link to the drought monitor, but um, this is one of the driest Junes that we've ever had. And you're right, we're kind of coming in to the season already in a deficit. So it's really compounded. I don't know about your lawn, but my lawn is suffering. The neighborhood trees are starting to dry up and the crops look pretty sad as well. Yeah. Uh, what's the expression? Pineappling for the way yes. corn looks. You don't want to see that. No. And um, we're, uh, this is Thursday. We're looking at, I think, the hottest day of the calendar year so far. Uh, we've got a chance of rain on Sunday. Um, and then it's going to get cooler, but it's a dry heat. And yeah, there's not much moisture in the air. Yeah, it's a bummer. So why don't we jump right into the topic of our podcast, pests. Uh, when I think drought and dry, I uh, my mind goes to spider mites, which are fairly prolificous and get uh, bad in dry conditions like this. Have you heard anything about spider mites? I haven't heard anything about spider mites, although my crew and extension field agronomists have their eyes open because... I think of when the the grass is kind of burnt up around field edges that the mites will seek refuge in the field interior. So you start to notice maybe some mite activity around the perimeter and then they gradually kind of balloon to the field interior as plants start to suffer around them. But I haven't haven't heard or seen it yet. Yeah, I I haven't been out in soybean fields or cornfields for that matter much, but I've noticed around my garden and in the gardens of others, uh, evidence of spider mites. Um, Yeah. And, you know, that to me suggests, you know, that we have the conditions, you know, we have the populations in these reservoirs of perennial plants uh, that are, you know, once they dry up, they're going to move into crop fields. So, um, yeah, something for our listener to uh, take, be aware of. I imagine, yeah, we'll probably hear, we'll probably get, you think you'll get phone calls uh, from farmers or some of the extension agents on this? About spider mites? Yeah, or, or just any, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, definitely. I think there's uh, there's going to be activity showing up, especially as uh, the next week rolls around it's sort of compounded along with some herbicide injury that people are seeing. So you have sort of burnt up plants, especially soybeans can look pretty ugly. And then if you put a few mites on there, I think the plants really start to suffer. So I think if people are out there looking, it probably won't be too hard to find mites. And then you see some of that visual pockets that start to brown up and the pockets get bigger and bigger. And then people often make like last last minute rescue treatments that that don't do a good job so like scouting and maybe taking action sooner than later would be probably more profitable yeah there might be some value in spot spraying some of those uh 
outbreaks on the field edges to keep them from spreading. But spider mites have that capacity to spread you know, even further beyond just plant to plant movement. So yeah, some scouting is going to be in order going forward. Um, going a little bit beyond spider mites, um, and I mentioned the extension agronomists you meet with now regularly. Um, what's the word on the street or the word in the fields about this year so far with regards to insect pests? How are things looking so far? Well, this is, I mean, it seems like every year is always a little bit different, but so far this year has been unlike other seasons. This is my 12th summer here in Iowa, and I have never paid so much attention to alfalfa before. Oh. And so um, the, the the first, during that first growth of alfalfa in the state, you can usually find alfalfa weevils that, you know, have resumed development and can defoliate um, skeletonize the the growth as it starts to resume and that was really really terrible and so what most people do is they've learned if you if you cut the alfalfa that usually kind of takes care of it because the, the larvae don't have anything to feed on but the issue this year is that people cut um, and plants were really stressed because they don't have enough moisture and um they were in a deficit from last year and uh, the plants are really slow to resume growth after the cut, um, but the larvae still remain. And in fact, if, when people are looking, they're still finding quite a bit of mixed ages. So they're finding some small larvae as well. So that's really concerning. So um, I've never really thought too much about alfalfa weevils this year, but um, talking to other field crop entomologists, uh, weevils this year have been prolific throughout the Corn Belt, and I don't know why. Mm -hmm. And they've had a really strung out life cycle. And there are some out there, uh, and especially in the West, who deal with alfalfa weevil more regularly that say that the, the winters are getting nicer and it's not producing uh, a kill of the eggs that are laid in the fall. And so usually I think in Iowa, they'll try to lay eggs, but they won't make it but there are some that say that maybe the eggs are surviving more than they used to. And so you have sort of a strung out, not exactly two generations, but you have sort of a, a long feeding period. And so people don't know what to do because their management tactic was mechanical. They would harvest and now they have to think about insecticides and, and it gets complicated because there's the pre-harvest interval, there's grazing restrictions, and it gets really, really complicated. So I've been thinking a lot about that. And then um, on top of weevils, now we're hearing about P. aphids. Oh, some terribly infested fields with P. aphids and uh, potato leaf hoppers at the same time. So now there's like this mixed bag of potpourri pests and alfalfa, and it's a fun crop. Like if you like to, you know, look at, and you're going to find a lot of things, but there's just a lot of activity happening right now for, for me. So. I think perversely fun might be the way to best describe that. Uh, well, it's just, perspective... you'll find good things and you'll find, you'll find beneficials, you'll find pests, you'll just find a, a lot of randomness in alfalfa. So I think like, I always tell people if you're if you're trying to make an insect collection, visit alfalfa every week, and you will find a different suite of insects. But it just seems like this year the pests have outnumbered a lot of the beneficials. Um, I think going forward, we will refer to climate change and the seasonal you know effect of climate change, not just in the summer, 
but in the fall through the winter and the legacy effect of warmer winters, milder mm -hmm. winters, and that uh, legacy on the following growing season. Uh, yeah. Not limited to weevils, something that's going to uh, affect a lot of critters that overwinter in this part of the world that we used to maybe not worry so much about because a really cold winter would knock them back, but yeah. not the case anymore. Yeah, I think the same thing was noted with bean leaf beetle uh, last month. You know, usually I think the winters in combination with insecticidal seed treatments have really put a damper on, on them the last few years. But um, I had an evaluation of, of uh, bean leaf beetle and seed treatments this year, and I've never seen more bean leaf beetles in soybean. And so the defoliation on vegetative, like early vegetative, they didn't even have a trifoliate yet. Um, was was pretty fantastic. So it was uh, cool on the research side, not cool if you're a farmer. <laughs> well, um, let's continue that conversation over the course of the summer because, you know, we'll come back every week and yeah. touch base on this. One insect that I want to talk about now, and it's probably too early for uh, scouting, maybe too you know, clearly too early for management, but uh, curious about Japanese beetles. And if you've seen anything or heard anything, uh, the one reason I'm kind of curious about this is this is an insect that, at least in our neighborhood, is very much affected by the winter uh, in terms of how well the larvae survive in the soil and what you get the next, um, the next summer, um, but also conditions now. And I'm, I'm starting to notice how hard the ground is and how dead the grass is. And you know the larvae of uh, many Japanese beetles are feeding on grasses and have to burrow their way out of the soil. And I've been wondering if those, the conditions we're experiencing now are gonna limit the survivors from the winter and if we'll, we'll see much in the way Japanese beetles this summer. What do you think? So if, I, if I'm hearing you, uh, can I oh, read reflective listening? Do you, yes. Do you, I'm, I'm reflective listening. Do you think that Japanese beetles are not cold hardy? Um, I think if we have a really cold winter, like we did, what is it, 2018? 20, was it 2018 when the polar vortex sat over uh, the Midwest and we had to shut down school because we were in minus 40 um, mm -hmm. and the soil, you know, froze pretty hard. Uh, you know, deep, maybe deeper than it had in the last, you know, five or 10 years. I think that's when we see the effect of winters on Japanese beetles. Uh, they clearly can move, you know, deeper into the soil to avoid that, but um, not always. And then when you get some, you know, freezing and thawing cycles that, uh, yeah, that, that, that can have an effect on them. But Anyway, yeah. uh, I think I think they're really cold hardy. I think it's it's really hard to kill a Japanese beetle uh, winter wise. And um, this year, early in the season, I heard about soybean and cornfields in central Iowa where grubs were feeding on on the roots of early vegetative plants. And so, actually, our extension partner Ashley Dean made some field visits along with field agronomist Megan Anderson and, and several. Iowa central counties. And that's not something I would expect to see is Japanese beetles within crop fields. Normally I think about them around the perimeters 
and in, yeah, like you said, yeah. kind of like urban areas, but um, because they are awesome at looking at grub butts and you can identify uh, the species based on the arrangement of hairs, um, they wanted to know if it was the, the multi-year uh, species or Japanese beetles. And almost every time they were finding Japanese beetles. And so they had a really good winter. And I, I don't know if their behavior is changing, but they're definitely more easy to find in crop fields than they were a couple of years ago. Because before, yeah. I would always see the, the multi-year uh, species. The, was but, it the um, false and the... Um, no, uh, the false... No, um, I forget the name of the, it's like, a, it's, a, it's called a white grub, but I can't remember. Oh, prolifica. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know what you meant by multi-year species. Uh, it has like a three, it feeds for three years. It has okay. a, um, the, not, not the annual life cycle. Yep. Um, yeah. But if you're wondering like what, what I would expect right now, Ashley put out a ICM article uh, based on accumulating degree days that we would start to see Japanese beetles next week. And I just got my first picture today just before we started the podcast that said, Aaron, what is this? And it was a false Japanese beetle. And that is always my cue. They always show up about a week before the true Japanese beetle. So I think our degree day model is really accurate. So I would, I would expect to see them uh, adults flying around uh, next week in central Iowa. Yeah. The, the, the uh, great. That's a good timing. I was uh, a little bit surprised. Are we arguing, Matt? <laughs> was this an, no, no, not at all. No. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I was part of the reason I was thinking about Japanese beetles sort of this early is I've already had a couple of flood. I mean, the roses have already bloomed. You know, we're in clearly in June. And typically when I see roses bloom around my house, I also see Japanese beetles. Um, but yeah, it was it was interesting not seeing that. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm wondering if uh, things have been a little bit if they're. Um, they're on track. Sounds like they are. Um, but then again, with the current conditions with the uh, dry, hot, uh, and then, you know, the uh, hardening in the soil, just harder for those uh, soil-borne pests to make their way out. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how well they survive. Yeah, and I, I'm, of course, not a crop physiologist, but what I hear from the experts in my crops meeting is that sort of this extreme drought stress forces plants to develop a little bit faster. And so there are soybeans that are already in bloom. And I don't know if it's the same for like horticultural crops. Um, you're talking about roses and maybe like around some of the urban areas, maybe have a chance for more irrigation, but at least out in agriculture, we have very small plants. I mean, they're like V4 that yeah. already have flowers on them. So it's pretty fantastic. Um, any other insect pests you want to mention now or any other issues? Um, as of this week, we had our first uh, capture of soybean colmage adults in Buena Vista County, which is in the northwest part of the state. It's uh, the county that we had that very first confirmation in 2017. So it's a well-established area. Um, that's other north, states haven't. That's northwest, sort of northwest Iowa? Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep, and that's that's pretty typical. This is the same week that we have first emergence in 2019 and 20. So I would encourage people, especially along the western third of the state, to get out and scout for plants along field edges that look discolored, stunted, brittle, dead, <laughs> and and check for uh, the orange maggots. 
Yeah, we're, we're going to be doing a very detailed transect survey in Iowa this year. So we're going to try and hit some old counties and some new counties. So hopefully I'll, I'll be able to report on that as the summer progresses uh, of activity in Iowa. Um, I might make a plug. It's, it's way early for this, but um, if our listener or, or people who know um, our listener might send in info about soybean aphids, uh, way early for this, but um, we're making some great progress on the markers for uh, detecting aphid that are resistant to insecticides, specifically the pyrethroids. Uh, we're getting it down to, uh, it takes us less than a day to run the assays. Um, and we've got now four uh, mutations that we can look for. Uh, although we think most of it is in one to two, most of the resistance is, a is being caused by one to two mutants. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah they, they have aphids in Minnesota already as of last week. So um, that's typical for them is to, to get it kind of mid-June. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, um, but I would, I, I don't know when we might see them here, but it would not be unusual if you're looking really hard to find a few in the third or fourth week of June here in Iowa. You'll find an aphid. Uh, yeah, yeah. You'll find, an, you know, like... If you're looking at hundreds and hundreds of plants, yeah, you could probably find one. Yeah. Um, otherwise, um, we're at peak corn rootworm egg hatch around the state, so it's also a good time just to assess root injury. I'm not saying it's uh, causative, but uh, yeah, lightning bugs started coming out last week. Anyway. I thought I thought the the thing was lightning bugs and corn rootworm adult emergence. Oh, you're right. That's right. So that's why it doesn't. It oh, doesn't no, I thought it was egg hatch. No, uh, I thought Tolleson said, "Oh, it's been so long." Is it egg hatch? Yeah, I okay. thought it was when you see the lightning bugs. That's when the rootworm eggs are hatching. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then yeah, that's that would line up. Um, there's that happening, and that seems to be also on an uptick just in general around the state. So um, no matter what strategy or strategies you or your clients are using, it's definitely worth digging up plants and assessing root injury. Uh, I, I would imagine the activity is up quite a bit this year. Um, so if the eggs just hatched, the, the larvae are going to, what, be in the soil for two to Two weeks? Two, I was going to say three weeks, but that seems... Yeah, the larvae feed for about three weeks, but, um, you know, you'd want to assess the injury while it's fresh. And so if it's peaking here in central Iowa, you know, you'd want to get out there in a week or two and, and assess, not wait till October and a plant autopsy to decide if it was rootworms or something else, which is what sometimes people do. I was wondering, not pest-wise, but I was wondering if you heard about the Hackberry Emperor. The Hackberry Emperor, no. Oh my gosh, I should have oh. prepared a fit, Matt. Ugh. Have you noticed little brown butterflies by the gazillions? No, where, are, where have you been? No, actually, I th I, are these, when you say uh, little, how little are we talking? Like um, nymphalid size, like painted lady size? Like or painted lady size, maybe a bit smaller. Yeah, I, uh, I thought they were painted ladies, the thistle caterpillars that we had. Oh, no way, really, this is a new... This is a new critter? It's not new. Oh. Um, but new it, to me. Is, it is, no, it's not new. It's been, um, Donald Lewis has documented it uh, over time. Um, and he would know um, because he's been here for decades. But, he's um, been here over time. 
he's been here since the beginning of time, but, um, no, it's, it's a cool little butterfly. Um, and, oh man, I should have prepared a fit, Matt. I thought for well, sure you know all about it's it. It's going to be around for a while. Let's save it for next week. No, I've got to talk about it because it's oh, happening right now because people are asking me, is this a painted lady? And uh, I've had to answer this about 50 times. And so, um, of course, they're asking me because they think it's painted lady and a pest. But yeah. then like the urban hort world, like Laura and Donald, um, they just get asked because, oh, what's this cool little butterfly? And so um, I think it's a pretty fun butterfly. It's known as a cheater species. Do you know what that means? Um tell me not sure yeah okay so they take advantage of nectar but they hover sort of like a hummingbird so they don't pick up any pollen and um they just take the nectar and run so they don't pick up or transfer any pollen so they're they're known as a cheater species and they really like to hang out on poop piles Uh, so you're going to find like manure like other types of poop piles and they're just like massing on these poop piles yeah yeah, I, and people uh, they like to land on you and get the salts off your skin. Uh, if they're what I think they are, they're um, very, really active around yes. little patches of sunlight in sort of forest or you know areas where you know around trees. And it looks like the if, if I know my insect ecology, uh, these are males fighting for a sunny spot to attract females. Um, yeah. I, th- so, what name? Give the name again. Uh, it's Hackberry Emperor. I put a link in our chat, so hopefully you can link that to the podcast where it shows some nice pictures. Um, but uh, as you can imagine, larvae like to feed on hackberry. <laughs> so, uh, along like wooded areas or other, it's a fairly large tree. So um, maybe not you know a million hackberries, but you might notice some defoliation of the leaves. The larvae are kind of cool too, but um, the butterflies are beautiful, I think. But yeah, they just, they're here every year. It's just, um, they've had a really great year so far. And so like, if you're driving in long wooded areas, they're going to kick up, you know, as you're driving and stuff. And so it's pretty exciting as far as, you know, butterflies go. Well, gosh, I can't believe I taught you something, Matt. That's like the first time ever. That's great. No, that's, that's good. And thank you for bringing that up because I, um, I think I sent you a picture of what I thought was a thistle caterpillar and I was getting a little PTSD from the outbreak we had a couple of years no, ago. The larvae don't look anything like that. They're not spiny or anything. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll return the favor. Um, oh boy. Well, you already know this, but uh, I had an interesting experience driving back from the East coast as we drove through the set brood, um, range for the 17-year cicada that's emerged this uh, early summer um, took a lot of hits to the windshield when uh, we were driving through to the point where we we had to pull over just because it was uh, so remarkable. They're about, oh, I don't know, maybe inch and a half at times, you know, when they were coming in hot. But um, yeah, uh, we're lucky. We're uh, to uh, have missed this one out in central Iowa. I think, I don't think it, it, there were patches in Illinois on the Eastern side, but I didn't, I don't think we hit any past um, Ford, was it Ford County where uh, Champaign County? Um, 
but yeah, the, uh, it was a topic of conversation out on the East Coast. The oh, I'm loud sure. noise and yeah, just remarkable numbers. Anyway, people making all kinds of snacks and like collecting the like the casings. Not not the people that I was hanging out with. I will say this: <laughs> I I tried to find some, but wow. mostly what I could find were ones that had been picked over by birds. Yeah, so a little bit of the wing and the uh, the thorax, but everything else had been pretty much chewed up by birds. Did you see any of like the spore butt that people no. were talking about? No, oh. I didn't see that. Um, yeah, I saw some others, but I think I'll say uh, some other insect stuff all out there. But I'm going to save that for a fit next week. I'll have a Ooh. visual for you um, on the edge of my seat. All right. Well, should we wrap up? We have been at this for. Oh my gosh, maybe 20 some minutes. Um, Any upcoming events that you want to share? um, In-person field days have resumed at some of the research farms around Iowa State. So in the next couple of weeks, I'll be at the Northern, Northwestern, Northeastern, and Southwestern. So um, if you happen to be in those parts of the state, you're probably familiar with the field days where you show up and you take a people move around and hit a couple different stops. So I'll be um, at those the next couple of weeks. And of course, anyone's welcome to attend and it's all outside. So, you know, people are feeling pretty comfortable at this point being outside and around people as much uh, as they ever felt. <laughs> will you be at the June 26th Pollinator Fest? No, I won't. Okay. No, I can't make it this year. This is a uh, event that we've been doing annually. Uh, we didn't do it last year, but we're back now uh, on the Ryman Garden schedule. It'll be Saturday. I think it the Pollinator Festival you know, the, will begin at 10, probably go until about two or three. Had a dozen booths uh, displaying different aspects of pollinator ecology, biology, management and just cool fun facts about uh, this very important group of insects. So thanks to Nathan Brockman, Amy Toth, Randall Cass for organizing this June 26, Ryman Gardens on the campus of Iowa State University. All right, Aaron, should we wrap it up? And I think we should. Are, yeah, so nodding your head in, a, in an audio medium is not the best way of saying I know. yes. <laughs> yes, we should wrap it up, Matt. Thank you. All right, thank you. And we're back. We'll see you next week. Yep. <laughs>